You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. Uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. How are you? Doing good, Shane, but not as good as old LSU. I don't know if you've seen this, Shane, but the Tigers got themselves a new locker room. I've heard. I've actually not seen the pictures yet, but I've heard I've heard that it is the greatest locker room in the SEC. Is this true? I mean, it's looking like it. So, you know, obviously we can't do it justice here just by talking about it. We'll talk about it briefly, but we'll also share links to, you know, photos and videos of it on the Reddit page and everything. But, yeah, these things are pretty sweet, Shane. I've never quite seen locker room like this, and they did that on purpose. It's supposed to be very functional and the, the easiest way for me to explain it is each locker looks like a first-class cabin on an airplane where players can physically lay down. And um, it's just really cool because it's like little cubbies under, under them where they can put all their gear and they got, you know, uh, TVs and iPads and all this stuff connected to their seats. And I don't know, you just really have to see photos of this thing because because it's not like any other locker room I've ever seen that's designed to allow the players to lay down and go to sleep if they need to before practice, after practice, after class, what have you. But So they don't have to go across campus and do it in their dorm. They can do it right there in the football locker room. Mike, I've got the picks pulled up right now, and uh, it's pretty fancy. Pretty fancy. It kind of reminds me of like a, a casino, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The carpet and all the monitors and everything like that. Kind of mm-hmm. got that feel, maybe a little arcade-ish, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, I'm going to go with, the Space Needle at Gatlinburg. It's kind of like that, if you know where that's at. <laughs> yeah, and I just... <laughs> <laughs> just just want to throw out this quick figure. I listened to an interview with a guy that helped design and build these down there in Baton Rouge. He said they cost about $15,000 a piece. And this project cost, I believe, $23 million. So that gives you an idea. And from what I understand, they didn't really even need this. They just, they just wanted nicer <laughs> lockers. <laughs> oh, man, this is fancy, dude. Uh, so these, they, yeah, that's, that's great. So these guys could take a nap right there at halftime and mm-hmm. come out and give all, I, you know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, Oregon's locker room. Those, uh, those space pods they have up there. Yeah. This is pretty, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. You definitely need to get, if you get a second, get on the tweeter and you could probably find these pretty quick. If not, they'll be on the Reddit page, but, uh, yeah, check them out. That, that's pretty, pretty bad. Pretty badass. All right, Shane, moving on from that, uh, we're going to do the same thing we did on the previous podcast. For, for anyone that missed it, you know, we ran down the SEC media poll. Uh, you can check out Monday's podcast if you missed it, but basically, you probably know by now, Alabama, Georgia, heavy favorites in their divisions. I mean, basically, the only votes to win the SEC championship go into those three. LSU did get three votes, but uh, Alabama and Georgia got about 300, so... That kind of tells you the disparity there. So what we're doing on this show, Shane, we're running down the list of the best 
possible outcome for these teams, how they can get it turned around, how they can exceed their preseason expectations. Do you understand what we're doing, Shane? (laughs) Yes, I'm feeling pretty positive today, Mike. So I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right, Shane, you ready to go around the league? Let's do it if you would like. Now let's go around the league. We haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. I'll reply. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other or every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice, so you just uh, you get used to it. It's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's going to be a street fight. This game's going to be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on a hard hat. Launch bail. Let's get to work. All right, Shane. Starting in Columbia, Missouri. M-I-Z! I feel like a lot of people automatically are going to jump to the fact that Kelly Bryant may be the wild card. He may be the guy that can really lift Missouri. But I feel like that's a talking point that's already, you know, reached its capacity. I mean, that's been talked about time and time again. And, you know, say what you want about Kelly Bryant. I know he lost his job, but potentially to one of the best quarterbacks college football has ever seen by the time he's done. So, I don't really think that's a huge mark on Kelly Bryant. So I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, Shane, because I think if Missouri is really going to take that next step, and I know you and I both have them predicted to finish second in the SEC East, if they're going to reach that height or potentially even higher, I think it's going to have to become from strides made on the defensive side of the ball. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Mike. I I mean, the defense is – I mean, if you could solidify that defense – I'm all for it, but man, I love this offense so much that I think if the wide receivers step up their game, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the addition of Jonathan Nance, mm-hmm. I think I think this could elevate. When you've got more than just one or two weapons out there, hell, you got the best tight end in the league. You've got now uh, more weapons on the outside. I think if they take a step forward, that's just going to – make them more dominant i mean there's going to be games that i mean the defense is important don't get me wrong but there's going to be games that they're going to be able to outscore their opponents just with the weapons they have let's jump to some comments here from sec media day shane these are ones we haven't talked about from missouri and we're going to start with demarcus ac missouri's uh, defensive back corner here and uh, he hits on something that I don't think is being talked about enough this offseason. Last year you were tied for the team lead in interceptions with three, uh, but your passing defense was around 14th in the SEC. Mm. What have you guys done this summer to let us know that uh, we have more confidence in your defense? How much more confident do you feel in the passing defense? I mean, I feel very confident in the passing defense this year. Uh, I mean, you got another year under our belt in uh, Tyree Gillespie, the safeties, uh, Joshua Blesso. Me and uh, some other counterparts, and uh, Christian Holmes and Jarvis Ware, some other guys that keep key contributors to this year. But uh, like I said, uh, you know, another year, different techniques, different coaches. Uh, we have a new cornerback coach, David Gibbs, so he's obviously been uh, teaching us the game and how to, you know, maneuver around the field or whatnot. So I feel very confident in this year's fast defense. All right, Shane, I don't know if you heard it there. I mean, it's almost like a little throwaway line there, but AC talks about the addition of David Gibbs. And I know you don't watch a lot of Big 12 football. I don't know if many of our audience really does. But David Gibbs coming over from Texas Tech. And I know Tech, they have a reputation as having a horrible defense. But after this guy was hired on by Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech's defense actually went from like complete garbage to really respectable in that league. And when Barry Odom is bringing on, you know, a defensive coordinator and just making him the, the cornerbacks coach, I think that's a huge addition to his staff. The pass defense was Missouri's weakest link last year. So you talk about bringing in a guy like David Gibbs, 
I'm not saying they're going to go automatically to the best pass defense in the SEC by any means, but I think you could potentially see a liability become, uh, you know, one of the stronger points of the Missouri defense. Dude, this is a, a sneaky good coaching staff. You know, mm-hmm. as much shit as I gave Derek Dooley in the past, I love his offense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and now with the addition of this cat on defense, and I think Barry, I mean, look at this team, man. I mean, some of the talent he's got on this roster, it, you know, they they weren't all five stars, four stars. You know what I'm saying? He's He's found those diamonds in the rough, and this isn't, you know, the first – this isn't his first team. This is something he's been doing uh, for several years now. So uh, maybe maybe that's the X factor. It's just that this coaching staff just keeps getting better every year. Yeah, and you speak of diamonds in the rough, Shane. I think that goes to the coaching. And here's another one of their little diamonds in the rough here, Shane. Missouri linebacker Cale Garrett was also down at SEC Media Days. And he was asked about the defense and uh, the experience on that side of the ball. And it's funny you mentioned an unheralded player, Shane, because that's exactly where Cale Garrett goes. Caroline Grace, WAFF out of Huntsville, Alabama. Um, you have six returning starters on defense and five out of the seven top tacklers returning. What expectations do you have for your defense aside from postseason? Um, obviously an improvement all around. I think experience is the best way um, to gain skill. Um, just going through something you gain a lot of knowledge about it. Um, so it's important for us to have a lot, bring a lot of guys back, and we are. Um, so we, there's, with that comes expectations. I think we're ready to live up to them. To your left, your second row. Jordan Campbell, Fox Sports Show. You know, Kel, you've been a tackling machine during your time at Missouri. You ranked up a ton of tackles. Of course, this year it's going to be a little different. No more Therese Hall, no more Brandon Lee. So you take a look at the linebackers beside you, maybe some of the younger guys. How have you taken them under your wing, and, and what sort of example do you want to set to them this season? Honestly, a guy named Nick Bolton, he's, he's going to be playing next to me. Uh, he's a young stud. You guys are going to know his name by the time it's said and done. Um, I'm really excited to be playing next to him. Um, uh, maybe by the end of the year, I end up being his sidekick because that's all you guys can talk about. Uh, he's a really good player. He's a really smart dude, too, and a great kid off the field. When someone that had 134 tackles last season, 16 and a half for loss, says, hey, there's a guy lining up next to me that you may not know now, but I think he's better than me. I mean, that's got to give Missouri fans some optimism right there. For sure, man. I like Kale. I don't know if you've, uh, like, read up on him. But I did read like he had a every day he's got like a mirror, a goal mirror that he writes on. And he's got these, you know, smaller goals to the to the side. And he's got his big goals in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy eats, lives, sleeps football, man. And if you ever see him, he looks like he can take your damn head off. And I believe coming out of high school, Shane, this is the Missouri guy that his only other offer was Navy. I think he was thrilled to go play for the Naval Academy. But Missouri came in there late with that offer. And he said it's just a dream of his to always play in the SEC, play in the nation's toughest conference. Mm-hmm. And one of that challenge, and uh, clearly he's met that challenge and exceeded all expectations. Yeah, expecting some pretty good things. So let me ask you, at the end of the season, you, you think we're going to be talking about how great uh, Missouri's offense is or how great their defense is? Well, if they live up to the hype, Shane, at least the hype that we're giving them, I mean, I think we may have to give them both, almost like uh, – Kentucky last year where we were praising the defense a ton but at the same time I mean some of us knew about Benny Snell but not everybody knew how damn good he was so I think you're going to see just players on both sides of the ball kind of get their spotlight for Missouri okay cool yeah I feel that man that's just man they got a great vibe coming out of there all right Shane stick in the SEC East let's jump down to Gainesville like again a lot of people going to point to the quarterback but I feel like Felipe Franks has already established himself. Not saying he's the best in the world, but no longer a question mark when this time last year he was a huge question mark. So for me, the biggest thing for the Gators coming into this season is expectations on this program. They they had no expectations last year, really. And, I mean, with the 10-win season, with the big bowl win, their fans are going nuts. They're expecting to beat Georgia. I'm hearing a lot of Florida fans are expecting that. So what are your thoughts on that, Shane? Uh, If Florida can handle the expectations, uh, could that lead to a huge year in Gainesville? 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. And if not now, then when? That I mean, it feels like I think they peaked a, a year early with as far as the records concerned. Mm-hmm. But here you got senior Van Cleveland. Josh, you know, all these guys coming back. Like, if not now, then when? And the defense, I'm telling you what, this defense is legit. They got – how many – They I think they had like seven starters come back, and they were good last year. Mm-hmm. So, if they do – and they got their coach back, I just think we're going to see a better defense this year out of the Gators. And there were some damn games last year, and Tennessee was one of them, that they just look like a damn – juggernaut you know what i'm saying so if they can grow off that absolutely but that's the that's the thing though we got to see there there's a lot of pressure down there and how do they react to it because they got some early games that uh coming up this season that's Mm -hmm. really going to set the tone for the season yeah and i think the dangerous part for the gators if they somehow slip up early to say a miami or at kentucky i think a lot of that momentum they've built up not saying it's all, it won't all go away, but I don't know. I mean, if everything's been seemingly going wrong for a couple months and then they lose a game, but I'm not picking any of that to happen. Because no, not listen, today, Mike. <laughs> not today, you. Not on this podcast, son. <laughs> and especially not after hearing Dan Mullen talk about the expectations, and then uh, we're going to throw on Felipe Franks ask basically the same question. And uh, their comments have got me really confident in the Gators. Coach, you combine the passion of the Florida fans and the expectations with your history of working with quarterbacks and how they seem to develop and get better and better year for year. Combine those two for 2019 and, you know, think people are thinking big things. How do you deal with that? How do you gauge that? Uh, well, I have, I have unbelievably high expectations, you know. I have, I have unbelievably high expectations of our team. Um, and the program, and, and all of our players. And um, I don't know if there's anybody that has higher expectations than I do. So I love it. I, I have no problem embrace the expectations, uh, you know, and, and hopefully exceed the expectations. I think we, we exceeded expectations last year, and uh, hopefully we do the same again this year. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what it is. I don't shy away from those things. Uh, you know, but you got to learn, and there's there's different types of adversities. You're going to learn to deal with adversity of success, and you're going to have to learn to deal with adversity of failures. Uh, and it's learning how to deal with both of those. You know, and both of them are bring their own challenges uh, and, and adversities that come with them. And, and our job is to kind of manage the team through all, both of those. Felipe, ten wins is good in most places, but Gainesville, a little different story. What are expectations this year now, second year under Coach Mullen? Yeah, um, expectations are high. Ten wins is not easy to do, I don't think, anywhere. Um, but um, it's good when you do it. I mean, we, we, we had a lot of momentum built up from last season. We've worked extremely hard this, this offseason, ready for this coming up season. And um, there's a lot of momentum built up. And I think we've all prepared the right way, did everything the right way this summer. And, and going into fall camp to prepare us for next season. So I think it's just all preparation-based. I think that our team has did a great job. So, To your right. Okay. You may have just answered it, but how close do you feel Florida is to being back? And is that preparation that you speak of the final piece, or is there something else that you feel like would really solidify your program once again? No, I think that we have a special team. Last year's team was special as well. Um, each team is special in their own little niche. And, uh, you know, I think that couple games, even last year, a couple games here and there, I, I don't throw, maybe I don't turn the ball over so much versus Georgia. Our season, we could be in the playoffs. You know, you just never know. There's little things like that that you just try to prepare for because you never know when the difference making play is going to happen in a game. Nobody knows what's going to, what's going to happen when we play LSU this next year. You know, it's, you never know when that difference, different difference making play is going to happen. So uh, you just try to prepare for those, those things in the off season. Um, and, and be ready for this upcoming season. So that's what we're doing. And, and I think we have a special team as well, just, just like last season. All right, Shane. So Dan Mullen, uber confident there, as you would expect. He's been damn confident all offseason. And I think, you know, with these Florida fans really confident that Florida can beat Kirby Smart, I think they, they don't respect Kirby as a coach, more as a recruiter. And if that holds true, the Gators do have a great chance here, and I guess what I'm trying to say here is Dan Mullen's confidence 
I think that's why he's been so confident all offseason because he's trying to get his team there. Not to say that they're not, but the more confidence he shows, I'm I'm certain that rubs off on his players. And based on Felipe Franks this offseason compared to Felipe Franks last offseason, uh, it, it seems like it's really shining through there. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think they got the credit they deserved last year for having 10 wins because people think about Kentucky. You know what I'm saying? Games like that. One thing that, that I think really is going to set the tone is the, the, the Miami Hurricane game, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you pay attention to any of that outside conference noise, but there's a lot of a lot of people excited about what Miami's going to put on the field this year. And if Florida goes out there and just, I mean, just dog stomps them, then they're back, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's good that Miami's been talking. I mean, they've been talking all off season. They're going to be obviously the underdogs in that game. If <laughs> I mean, Miami is like a swag program, but I think it'd be wise for them to shut their mouths. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I agree. But hell, I, I was listening to something on uh, ESPN the other day, and they were just talking up the coach down there, and like you said, the swags back in Miami. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, man, we we. If the SEC walks away with a 40-point win, I'm telling you what, it ain't Miami that's back. It may be them Gators, son. All right, Shane, let's jump down to the Plains. Like a war damn eagle. We got Auburn. We got some comments here from Gus Malzahn. And I've been trying to stay away from the quarterback talk because that just seems like such an obvious one. But we're going to go there for this one. I think you have to go there because it's Joey Gatewood. It's Bo Nix. You know, a lot of similar traits there, but I really feel confident that Auburn, you know, outside of that offensive line, which we've we still questioned on this podcast, and for good reason, they were they were not good last year. But if you can move past the offensive line, you can move past quarterback, which obviously those are probably the two most important positions. They are loaded basically everywhere else. So if they yeah. can hit, if they hit on this quarterback, Shane, um, I think that's all the difference in the world for the Auburn D- Tigers, do you agree? I do agree with you on this one. All right. Well, let's jump to Gus Malzahn when he was asked about it. And, you know, it's kind of comical what he has to say here. I've got some comments on it. But uh, here's Gus Malzahn on his quarterbacks and then on how soon he wants to pick one uh, in fall camp. Coach, talk about the different styles between the two QBs, Gatewood and Bo Nix, and then how your play calling this yeah. year will affect both of them. Yeah, I don't think there's as much differences as everybody would think. One thing I can tell you is both those guys will be true run threats from the quarterback position. They both can extend plays when things break down, and they both have outstanding arms. So, you know, one thing I will tell you that will be different is our quarterback will be a run threat. And I feel like, well, I don't feel like, I know when the quarterback is a run threat, it changes everything from a defensive standpoint, and it's really a lot easier to call plays too. Chris Brees, CBS 42 in Birmingham. One more question on the quarterbacks. In your past history of experience, have you had a preference on when you like to name the starter around the fall camp area, or is it just a comfortability issue? You always want to sooner rather than later, but I really don't have a timetable. You know, I want it to play out. I want it, we're going to put them in different situations to try to uh, figure out who gives us the best chance of winning against Oregon. Uh, and when that time, usually what happens is. The teammates know, the coaches know, and, and it's it's one of those things. So we'll see how it goes, but in a perfect world, it'd be sooner rather than later. All right, Shane, what I was talking about with it being comical there, old Gus, <laughs> you know, I hate to bash on Jarrett Stidham because he really did come out and play well that first year, but, you know, he was just ill-suited for this offense from the get-go. And Gus Malzahn mentions it here. You know, we need a, the running quarterback brings such a dimension to our offense so I'm trying to figure out why in the hell they got Jared Stidham to begin with, but Malzahn seems to think both these guys have that running aspect, and uh, you know he's waiting for his team to identify the quarterback, and uh, you know I, that's going to make the difference for Auburn. I think if they're going to win this game over Oregon or not. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man, and I think I think they I think they named Bo pretty early, and, and I'm I'm going out on a limb here mm-hmm. because. Again, in practice, they're going to need Bo to take all the reps because they got to be they got to be ready 
early. And uh, so I think we're going to see – I think he's right. I think we'll see a quick quarterback announcement. And um, I don't know if he's just waiting for him to get on campus before he does this. I just think, though, going into uh, fall camp here, I don't think that they're going to split. I don't think it's going to be like a 50-50 deal. Mm-hmm. You know how sometimes, like, they'll split the reps. I, who was it that did it last year? Was it LSU that was – I mean, they had all kinds of quarterbacks in there in the offseason. Right, they had four. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I I don't think we're going to see that with Auburn. I think Gus knows that he's got to have a quarterback ready week one. Mm -hmm. And and if it's – I mean, it's going to be a true freshman. I mean, there's no no other way. We're looking at two freshmen here. So, you you know, you need to identify that quarterback early so that he can get the majority of the reps, you know, with uh, Swartz and – uh, 38-year-old Will Hastings and, and Seth Wood, you know, just get these guys, <laughs> you know, used to the chemistry and the routes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think I think we're going to get a quarterback early, and, uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a big difference for Auburn. Well, speaking of those Auburn players, Shane, one of their leaders, senior leader Marlon Davidson, you know, I could tell these guys were coached up in a sense when they were asked about the quarterbacks. They didn't really want to talk about it. Uh, Derek Brown, I thought, gave one of the funniest lines of SEC media days. He's like, I don't even look at the offense. It's like, <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. But uh, Marlon Davidson went a step further when he was asked about it. And, uh, I mean, if he's being honest here, I think uh, the players, at least to this point, they've got confidence in both these guys. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see both of them coming out the gate. I mean, like, they're both the same. Um like, whatever you read, is like, they're really the same. Both mobile, both can throw, both are smart, both are leaders. I give you the same thing. No matter who's in, I'm with them both. I'm with them. So there you have it, Shane. Marlon Davidson, I mean, like I said, he almost didn't even want to get into it. Basically, he said they're the same. They're the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but, hell, Shane, if they both can play and they're both solid, maybe it is good because – you got a guy like Gatewood who, uh, you know, it it really does change your offense. When it's third and one, third and two, third and three, yeah. and you can just call a damn power quarterback run and pick it up more often. I mean, this guy's damn six foot, what is he, six five, six six. All yeah. he has to do is snap the ball and lean forward, and, I mean, he'll, he'll get you a yard or two. So uh, that added dimension – and, uh, I mean, we all remember what Nick Marshall did, and he was a little guy. If, if they can get something similar but in a bigger body from Gatewood, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's – you know, we both think it's going to be Bo Nix, but if Gatewood can give him that, uh, he may be the best option. Well, I mean, like you said, he's got that big body frame, and, you know, he can look over that offensive line a lot easier. So there's, there's a lot of benefits to obviously having him as, as the quarterback, but – I'm like you, man. I don't. I I think it's going to be Bo, and um, I just if they do go with this two quarterback thing. I mean, we have seen it work before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think Leak and Tebow, and uh, kind of reminds me more of the that Ohio State situation a few years back. Mm-hmm. You know, they had similar, but uh, the quarterbacks were just different frames and had different attributes. So I just if they use it right, I yeah. It could be hard to scheme for, but a lot of times, man, you know, of course, I'm trying to be positive, Mike, talk about Auburn here, but uh, uh, I, I just – cold water yeah. shane's back. <laughs> oh, God, you about got me, Mike. So I'm just going to agree with you on this segment. All right, Shane, let's jump to the other Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina. They got some issues there with turnovers last season. That was – that and injuries – and just, I guess, play overall in the offense and defensive line is what really killed them. So I'm going to stick with this one, Shane, because we've talked about the line of scrimmage, how they should have better play there. Will Muschamp says this is the deepest roster of linemen he's had in Columbia. So instead of just saying Jake Bentley's the key, correcting those turnovers, and specifically Jake Bentley and in the red zone, I know you're on the Helinski train, but I just don't know how far a true freshman moving all the way across the country, never been exposed to SEC football outside of you know recruiting visits, I just don't know how far he can take them. So I'm, I'm still riding that Bentley train, but if what are, you, what are your thoughts, Shane, on South Carolina? If they 
fix their issues with turnovers, and they had the third most turnovers in the SEC last season. And we're talking with teams like Arkansas and Tennessee who had terrible records. So South Carolina still managed to have a winning record and, and have you know the third most turnovers in the league. If they flip that and they're in the you know top fourth of, of having the fewest turnovers, I think the Gamecocks are in for a big year. Dude, I you know, of course I was on the Helensky train mm-hmm. last year, going into this year. And the more that I hear and I see from Bentley, the more I'm buying back in. You know what I'm saying? Like he's that freshman again, and he's going to – I mean, hell, he's got Brian and Shy. I mean, with those receivers out there, there's no reason that he should not perform better, you know, with another year, another offseason of chemistry. And um, I'm with you, man. I think I'm I'm back on the Bentley wagon. I just hope it doesn't burn me, Mike. Well, you know who else is on the Bentley wagon, Shane? is a wheel must champ. So here's his comments on South Carolina limiting the turnovers and specifically Jake Bentley and getting those issues fixed for the Gamecocks. Well, you've talked to us all during the spring and the off-seasons about the importance of the offense cutting down on turnovers. And while all the interceptions have not been on Jake, but when the team sees him working hard during the spring, in the offseason to cut down on those turnovers. Does that also help to elevate his role as a leader on the team? Well, there's no doubt about it. You know, Jake's been been elected a team captain previous, previously as in time at University of South Carolina, so obviously he is recognized as a team leader on our football team. But uh, we improved tremendously from 2017 to 2018 offensively. Uh, another touchdown a game. Uh, close to 100 yards a game, more plays every game, which the tempo obviously helped us. But you hit it on the head, Nick, Rick. Uh, we just, you know, inconsistencies in taking care of the football and in the red zone. You know, we have 53 red zone trips or 56 red zone trips. We have 13 times we come away with no points, eight turnovers. And, and that, those are, that's game-changing stuff. That's demoralizing for not just an offense but an entire football team. And psychologically, unfortunately, we weren't, we weren't strong enough to overcome some of that. And a lot of that youth that we had on defense had a hard time overcoming those things. So I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, Jake's work ethic uh, and, and cleaning up some things fundamentally and, and footwork and those things uh, have certainly helped him this past spring and this summer and heading into fall camp. Coach, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Jake's cleaned up the footwork among some other things. What have you seen in just his quarterback style that's grown over the last couple of years that makes you comfortable that he'll have a great senior season? Well, I've, I've been very comfortable from day one with Jake as far as, as, as he, he, he being a very mature guy, mature beyond his years, which I think is critical uh, at that position for that player. Uh, but, but again, he positively affects people around him. Uh, he has a calm, cool demeanor. He's a great competitor. He has great toughness. He has all the intangible qualities you look for at that position. Uh, again, I go back to the same thing. Let's do a better job of taking care of the football and making some better decisions here and there uh, because he's played lights out in some situations, and we need to be more consistent in playing towards that. All right, Shane. So Muschamp there, you know, covered it pretty well. This is a guy that, you know, the team believes in. They're seeing the steps. And, you know, if he would just eliminate these turnovers, I know that's easier said than done because he's we've seen it time and time again and, uh, you know, he really should have eliminated them last year. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, it is what it is, Shane. And if he corrects it, I mean, he could go out with being one of the better quarterbacks in Gamecock history. I'm with you, Mike. Uh, Bentley, Bentley's the dude. This offense, they got the weapons, they got the talent. And I think the biggest part about the offense is just the fact that nothing really changed up there. I mean, this is the same, the same offensive coach. Mm-hmm. They've got another offseason to work out the kinks. Because I think they tried to roll it out last year, and there were some times the flaws were exposed, and it really hurt them bad. But I think we're going to see more out of this offense as far as efficiency. Um, and that all starts with Bentley, and I think he's better. I mean, just what I'm hearing. Yeah, Jake Bentley, we're going to start calling him Coach Jake here because he just sounds so, so mature. I mean, I would call him Coach Bentley, but his dad's already on staff, so they, they already got a Coach Bentley. So Coach Jake, you know, he was asked about the turnovers. And this second question I really liked, he was asked about how to respond to a mistake or a turnover because we've seen, you know, Jake Bentley, the good and the bad. He's a very emotional, very fiery player. 
Remember last year he was, I believe he was like smashing his helmet against the damn bench, what have you. You just can't have that from your quarterback. Uh, so, it, you know, he gets that ironed out. I mean, he will take his game to another level, I think. Uh, so let's listen to old Coach Jake on uh, what he needs to work on or what he has been working on this offseason. Uh, Coach Muschamp was telling us the importance of cutting down on turnovers. Uh, tell us what you've been doing after the spring and the offseason. How confident are you that the number of turnovers will go down? I mean, that's something that we've we talked about immediately after the season. Uh, uh, looking, you know, kind of a you know a postseason meeting with Coach Muschamp and you know what he what he expects moving forward. And that and that was that was the main thing. I mean, that's the main thing. You know, winning football games, we got to stop turning the ball over. I do. And uh, especially down there in the red zone. So, you know, really getting back in the film room, dissecting what happened, what I was thinking, um, and then just learning from it. And I know that's some simple to say, but uh, really just taking that to the field in the spring, uh, really cut down on it during spring practice, and uh, just really feeling good. How would you describe the perfect way to, to respond to a mistake, a turnover? What's the perfect way to respond to that, both yeah. emotionally and mentally? Well, I'll take you through it, you know, okay, interception happens, you know, quarterback, you know if it was your fault or not, or, the, or it was tipped or something. So if it was tipped by the receiver, you, I, I immediately go to the receiver. Hey, man, I got to throw it better. Put it on me. Don't, you know, there's no reason to put him on the receiver and have him have a bad game the whole rest of the game. Take, put it on me, jog off the field, make sure that nobody on offense thinks you're defeated. If your team thinks you're defeated, then it's going to, you know, affect everything. So got to jog off the field, let them know that you're still in this. You're still going to battle. Um, and then just regroup. Go back and think about what happened. Um, you know, could it have been avoided? Could it not have? And then just inspire the team to get back to go again. I mean, you know, it's, you know, say it happens in the first quarter. There's three more quarters to play. There's a lot of football um, left to be played. So just learning from that. And that's one thing that I've learned, talking about maturity, going back from freshman year, just getting better at that. All right, Shane. So that kind of goes to what you're saying. And – we talk about the coaches being the same. You know, I think we're, we're obviously talking about the offensive coordinator, uh, Brian McElwain, but don't forget, uh, we really were high on this hire last year, and I think it's, it's yet to prove itself, but I think it will more this year. The second year under quarterbacks coach Dan Warner, who was previously at Ole Miss when they were riding high under Hugh Freeze, spent some time there at Alabama under Nick Saban. I mean, this is uh, one of the better quarterback coaches in the SEC. You throw that in with the continuity of the second year of the offense. And uh, I think Jake Bentley, if he can get these turnovers down, uh, South Carolina is in for some big things. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, I don't think there is a quarterback in this league that wants it more than Jake Bentley. I mean, every time you talk to him, you could just feel the enthusiasm of this season that's coming up and the chance and opportunity he's going to have to prove the doubters wrong. Well, he's 36 years old, Shane, so he's had, he's had time to figure it out. <laughs> but he skipped his senior year of high school. Yeah, he did. He didn't, get, he didn't get to go to prom, man, you know? What's up with that? All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Lexington. Where, again, I want us to stay away from quarterback talk. We know Terry Wilson has got to have a big season. They are, you know, defenses, opposing defenses are going to be making him beat them with his arm. We already know that. But how about this, Shane? Because I think this is potentially the key to Kentucky's season. Got a lot of confidence in what they have on defense. I know they're losing a lot in the secondary. But they lost starting offensive line. But they're bringing back Landon Young, who missed all of last season. I believe he's the highest rated signee that Mark Stoops has ever had. Uh, top 100 recruit, I think he was a top 50 recruit, in-state guy. He's going to anchor their line along with uh, Logan Steinberg. So let's talk to Mark Stoops on the, the return of Landon Young and then uh, Logan Steinberg, who was also at SEC Media Days. Uh, he had a lot to say on Kentucky's offensive line and them setting the tone for the Wildcats this year. Good two-part question. Mm -hmm. First, having Landon Young back, and yep. secondly – having more running backs that can maybe do a little bit of things that maybe Benny couldn't maybe or didn't do as much, catch the ball out of the backfield and so on. Yeah, having Landon back is really important to us. Um, he's a guy that really, you know, he got injured a year ago, which was really uh, 
difficult for him, but he used the, the year wisely. He really worked exceptionally hard in the weight room. He's a bigger, stronger player. Uh, he participated in the spring. He looks great. Uh, doesn't have any effects from the surgery to his knee. Uh, so we're very excited about having Landon back. He's not only a great football player, but he's smart, he's intelligent, he's a leader. Um, so he'll be a great addition to have him back to an already good offensive line. And then with the running backs, it is good. You know Benny is a hard guy to replace. And I think um, you know, the, one of the biggest compliments you could give Benny is his determination and his heart and the passion that he had. And we got to make sure some other people uh, offensively can pick that up. As far as the talent at running back, we feel good about those options. Like you say, they're different. All running backs are different. Each player is different. Um, but we do have some guys that uh, have some breakaway speed. A.J. is an impressive back. He's big. He's strong. Uh, he's, he, he can elude tacklers, and he has the, the top-end speed. I just talked about Cavassier, and then we have Chris Rodriguez as well. So we, got some, we have some options there. Last year, you had Bunchy. You don't have him now, but you returned Landon Young from his knee injury. We don't talk about the O-line as much, so what dynamic do you have this year maybe that you didn't have a year ago? Yeah, I mean, super sad to see Bunchy and George both leave. They were, uh, you know, great role models and gr even greater people, honestly. But uh, this year going in, I think that, you know, we have a lot of returning uh, talent. Landon started a lot of games for us before getting injured. Uh, me and Drake both have started uh, two years in a row. Uh, the right side is going to be stout. A lot of uh, snaps under the uh, right guard position, whether it's Mason Wolf or Luke Fortner. Uh, and then we have a little bit of, uh, we have a true sophomore on the edge at right tackle. So we got to get him a little more comfortable with playing in front of big time teams and uh, just get him more comfortable with the offense. And we should be stout this year. Coach Stoops talked to us about how a lot of people don't realize that the offensive line sets the tone for the entire team. So can you talk to us about how you and your teammates take on that leadership position and that role of setting the tone for your entire team? Yeah, as an offensive line, we really take pride in that. And it all starts with uh, Coach Slarman, you know. He comes in every day and he preaches to us, hey, guys, it all starts up front. Coach Green, you hear him every day. Bigs lead the way, you know. So it's really ingrained in us that if we want the offense to be uh, successful, we have to win our one-on-one -on -one blocks. We have to be successful. A spinoff question. A lot of people say the offensive linemen as a group are the most interesting to talk to. Do you buy into that? I would say so. I'm pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> I would say the rest of our offensive line is pretty great too. You know, a lot of uh, strange characters, but uh, you definitely don't get the same uh, the same personality. You know. All right, Shane. So Kentucky, they lost a lot, but in a weird way, with some of the guys they're bringing back, this is uh, they're they've got a lot more talent, in my opinion, on the offensive line. And it's not like they're starting a bunch of freshmen like some schools are. They're yeah. starting, you know, redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors. So. And we've seen the Kentucky program. They know how to coach. They know how to develop. And in a program like this, when it's when these guys are asked to step up, it just doesn't seem like there's a there's a huge drop off. Uh, am I right? Do you think in suggesting that if Kentucky can get right up front with all these talented linemen, um, I think that's that's one of the biggest keys to them having a really good season. Yeah, I think you nailed it, man. Because Kentucky is not a one hit wonder. Kentucky is a developmental school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last year we saw a product of a coach making his players better and getting the best out of what he had. And that just means the guys behind some of these starters that are no longer there were doing the exact same thing. So I don't want to use the, the cliche, you know, reload because it's a little different than some universities. But what they are bringing back has enough talent and is big enough. I mean, I don't know if you've ever if you've seen a picture of this Landon Young. The dude's a giant, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as long as he can hold on to his defender up front, I'm I'm excited not only about the line, but I I'm excited about AJ getting cut loose because he is a different style running back than what we've seen in Kentucky in a while. And there I've seen a lot of people pumped up about this offense, and especially AJ just because the versatility he's going to provide for this offense. You know, I'm glad you said they're a developmental program, Shane. I think a lot of people, when you hear that, they take that as disrespect. But I think some of the best teams in college football are de developmental programs, and that includes Alabama. Mm -hmm. I know they sign all these damn five stars, but it's 
fairly rare where one of these five stars comes in and starts. I mean, they usually have to sit their ass on the bench and learn the Nick Saban's way for at least a season, if not two or something. So, I, there was a couple years ago, Shane, they signed number one player in the nation, Deshaun Hand. He didn't start till his senior year. I think Kirby yeah. Smart has shown some of the same traits at Georgia. I know they've started a lot of freshman quarterbacks, but a lot of his defensive backs, a lot of his uh, – they got a nose guard that was a three-star that's worked his way into a, a, a starter. DeAndre Baker, their best defensive player last year, was a three-star. So de- there's nothing wrong with being a developmental program. And what that means is – your coaches know how to identify talent. More importantly, they know how to develop it. And when it's their time to get on the field, there is not a major drop-off. Um, you know, there'd be a lot better football in the SEC if they were all developmental programs at this point. But I think Kentucky, under Mark Stoops, has proven uh, they're one of the better ones right now. For sure. And that's why he has a better record every season. All right, Shane, let's jump to Nashville. Take it down. We're Vanderbilt. We've been trying to stay away from quarterback talk, but I think that – given the fact that the Commodores took three standout offensive players to SEC media days. But the question mark, of course, is quarterback there because we we don't even know who it's going to be at this point. But he is going to be taking over essentially a car that's ready to roll, and they've got to ask him not to screw it up. So (laughs) how about Vanderbilt? If they they get really good quarterback play – um, I think the Commodores could really surprise people next season. Yeah, I do too. I mean, because like you said, when you got Jared Pickney and, you know, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and Lipscomb, I mean, how can you not – how can you mess that up? You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. they, uh, I think whoever comes in there is going to look like a damn all-star for Vanderbilt. And uh, who, who do you think it is? Just, just gut instinct right now. Do you think it's uh, Neil or Wallace? I think it's going to be, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. But I think Riley Neal, I've not seen a ton of him, but just he's seen so much action in college football, the former Ball State uh, transfer. And I think the Commodores, they're going to have to outscore a lot of people if they're going to win this season. Mm-hmm. And he's got the weapons. Can Neal do it? Can Deuce do it if, if he's called upon to do it? Uh, I'm not so sure, but that will be the difference maker, and that's something that uh, Derek Mason hit on here. Uh, yeah, Coach Jamal Kennedy with WSFA in Montgomery. Uh, you had the luxury of watching Kyle Shermer at the quarterback position, and now you have a new quarterback. Uh, when you when you talk about that in the SEC East with, with so many established quarterbacks already, what do you think uh, your new quarterback comes in and, and, and makes himself stand out this year? Well, I, I think that's the great thing about our game. You know, I mean, the quarterback's got to play well, but it's also about the guys around him. And I think, you know, uh, whoever gets the quarterback position or wins the starting job is going to have a pretty pretty good supporting cast. We're pretty deep at all positions, tight end, receiver, wide out. I mean, I mean, uh, running back, doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I believe we're deeper in the quarterback room. So uh, he's just got to manage the game. He's got to make sure man, that he can make the plays that, that he's capable of making. He can't be Kyle Shermer, and I don't. I really don't expect him to be. Um, both of these guys can run, and I think that's a different dimension that we bring to the game in 2019 that we haven't had in, in, in a couple of years, a quarterback who's capable of taking the ball man, and going 35, 45 yards. And, and, and I think that really changes the game in terms of how teams defend you. So uh, he's got to play to his strengths. Whichever one of these quarterbacks winds up being under center, he's got to play to his strengths, and if he does that, He'll, 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 he'll find himself playing good football and hopefully being ranked amongst the top quarterbacks in this conference. All right, Shane, so old Mason, I mean, he's kind of uh, – he's he's playing that sleeper <laughs> role there, isn't he? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it would be unfair to ask the new guy to come in and be Kyle Shermer. I mean, that guy's been starting since he was a freshman. Yeah. Uh, he went on – I don't. I can't remember. I think he's in an NFL camp now. So yeah, it, it is unfair to ask him to do that. Uh, but uh, Derek Mason seems like he's he's playing this one kind of close to the vest. But uh, mm-hmm. that that is the key for the Commodores in my mind. Yeah, with, without a doubt. And uh, I think, <laughs> like you said, kind of what he joked about. I don't. He whoever he puts in there is going to be okay. You know, if not mm-hmm. good, with just what he has to work with and. I tell you what, man, I, I can't remember this much hype coming in to a, a season 
on Vanderbilt offense in my life, you know, since maybe Matthews and all those guys back in the day, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do have one other clip here for the Commodore, Shane, and this is unrelated to the topic here, but this comment was just too good not to use. This is a Keyshawn Vaughn, kind of on the similar theme. The last time we talked about Vanderbilt, Derek Mason mentioned how the team's kind of disrespected, and uh, clearly that Vaughn got that message as well. In your opinion, why aren't more people talking about this Commodore offense and team? Because we're Vanderbilt, and with nowadays people get lost in who's get the most who get the most hype, and we actually like it though because we want people to still sleep on us because you're gonna come sleep on us, we're gonna run a score up on you, and so we love it for real. I mean, like I said, we have Vanderbilt, and people don't think Vanderbilt good. I don't know for some reason I feel like they don't think we in the SEC like. Yeah, you got these players lead these stats or whatever, but they have Vanderbilt. Like that still ain't like that still isn't the SEC, and so we want we want you to keep sleeping on us. It's just gonna we'll wake you up game day. All right, Shane. So <laughs> I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn got me fired up to watch uh, some Vanderbilt football this year just for that comment. Oh, without a doubt, man. Who do they got week one? I they host a team you may have heard of, Shane, the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia Bulldogs, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's going to be tough out of the are game. Are we still being positive? Which one are we being positive for, Mike? <laughs> Vanderbilt. Hey, it, it's at home. I'll give them that. Oh yeah, home field advantage, and this is the year. <laughs> what do their locker rooms look like? Just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm I'm trying so hard. Well, Shane's in a negative mood. That's a good thing because we are going to jump. You know, we didn't want to just completely disregard Alabama and Georgia. So we want to hit on them and kind of in a similar vein. And obviously we're not rooting for these teams to collapse. Shane and I both picked them to win the West, to win the East, to meet in the SEC championship game. But while we've been pumping everyone else up, how can these teams, if disaster falls, how could they not meet expectations, Shane? Let's start in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide! Nick Saban. I think this is uh, kind of an obvious one, but his team, especially at some crucial positions this year, a little bit thinner than usual. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, you know, Nick Saban's comments here, I don't think they were directed at Tua, but... I don't know. You can listen to him. Maybe, maybe you think a little differently. Hey, Nick. That's Smith, Southern Pigskin. Similar to what Rachel was saying on the mental side of things, are there any measures you guys take to help players deal with more the mental side of injuries, like Tua last year where you're cleared to play, but you're going to be in some pain for the rest of the year, probably not going to get better until after the season? Are there any measures you guys take to help those guys deal with the normal aches and pains and fighting through those that come with just a long football season and the grind of that? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, when we have players that, you know, struggle with injuries and every player, you know, responds differently, you know, some players can play with, you know, their arm hanging off and other players can't play very well if they have a hangnail. And I think that comes down to, you know, their psychological disposition. And, um, and I think that we've always employed um, psychiatrists, sports psychologists to try to help players deal with those issues. I mean, no different than dealing with the death in your family, uh, dealing with an issue that you might have with your children. I mean, all these things are things that being supportive and helping people. Um, The one thing that I've learned is, you know, when players get injured or anybody gets injured, including myself coming back from this hip, is, you know, you always anticipate that it might hurt again. And even though it's not, you're afraid to go full speed. You know, you're afraid to step out because you're afraid you're going to hurt yourself again. And this is probably the thing that is the most difficult for players to overcome, um, that you are okay. Um, And, you know, just like, you know, Doc told me with my hip, he said, look, you're okay now. Uh, You can do whatever you want. And it's going to hurt. Right, it's like having a new ball glove. Right, it's stiff. It needs broken in. 
All right, so the more you do, the better you're going to be. I was still apprehensive to do some things, but I think that's normal. And I think as you do more things, you develop more confidence. But, you know, having people who are there to support you and help you understand those things uh, can be very helpful. <laughs> all right, Shane. So old Nick Saban, he's, you know, maybe he was, we all thought it was propaganda when he came back with a new hip a day later. But maybe he was trying to tell his damn team, you know, they need to toughen up and be uh, like his old country ass. That's right, man. That's right, man. This is football. We ain't got time for that. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it, boys. <laughs> but obviously, Tua, you know, he's been injured in the past. If he goes down, let's hope it doesn't. It'll be bad for the game of football. But if he goes down, I mean, that's potential disaster there. Um, you know, their receivers, they could actually, they could probably lose a receiver too. That may not even slow him down. But linebacker, I think that could be a potential key issue for them. And I know they got tons of guys in the secondary, but. I don't know about the depth this year in Alabama secondary. They had a ton of issues in the secondary last season. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of these positions get hurt, I don't know if he was – like I said, I have no idea if he was singling anyone out here. He's probably not. But just his comments there, it's, it seems like he's making his making it out to be his team needs to be a little bit tougher this season. For sure. Are we, are we being negative now? Yeah. Okay, because I'm a little worried about the offensive line. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, we like you said. I mean, other than the tackles, these these are all new guys, and you know some of them got some playing time last year. But here you got a quarterback that gets hurt a lot, and you've got three inter- internal line that that is going to be playing for the first time down there. So, yeah, that would be a, a definite red flag for me because the last thing that Alabama needs is to get to a hurt because then who do they turn to? Mac Jones and how many people think Mac Jones is going to win a natty? Yeah, not. I mean, Matt's mom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she, I don't know. She may have took the under. I don't know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and what other thing here with Alabama, Shane? So two obviously was down there at SEC Media Days, and I thought this was a peculiar way to answer this question. But uh, Nick Saban's hit hit home all off season that they need to improve their leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think he's talking about Tua. I think he's talking about Dylan Moses. Um, Here's Tua when asked about players actually talking about this leadership thing. Well, we we didn't, as players, address that, you know, to to the team. Um, It was more so Coach Saban addressing it to the team, um, that it was a lack of leadership. You know, and um, I mean, for a lot of us, you know, on the team, we knew that a lot of the teams that were successful in the past, had guys that took on leadership roles and had teams that have took ownership, you know, of the team, you know, had guys that took ownership of the team. And those were the successful years that, I mean, Alabama football had, you know, under coach Nick Saban. Um, so we understand that we got to, we got to do the same if we want to be successful this upcoming season. All right, Shane. So I don't know how much confidence that inspires. I mean, maybe he's just brushing the question off because it's SEC media days, but he made it seem like that was just some kind of talking point of Nick Saban's. And Who's I don't this, know, Tua? Yeah, I don't know how serious he's taking it. Oh, gee. No, he, he's already thinking about that parade back home in Hawaii, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Alabama, Georgia, listen. You've been here all season how great you are, so give us 20 minutes to just pretend bash for a minute. Well, let's jump on down to Athens then, Shane, because that's our next victim here. Kirby Smart, uh, obviously, only concern, I think, on this offense. Well, receivers, I guess, but I I still, I'm not, I know they don't have a lot of, uh, you know, returning experience here, but I don't think it's going to matter because they have talent. They've got that great offensive line. They've got a great quarterback. But what happens, similar to Tua, what happens if Jake Fromm goes down, Shane? That's something that uh, Kirby Smart was asked about here. Brandon Adams from Dog Nation. In 2017, you made the playoff with a quarterback and started the year as your backup. If you were to be thrust in that position again this year, given the fact that Jake was a really highly regarded recruit, is it fair to say that would be more difficult this year, given that your backup quarterbacks aren't quite the same level of prospect on paper Jake was then or maybe Justin was a year ago? You know, I don't know that you can go off – 
the rating that Justin was or Jake was at the end of the day. Justin was a true freshman backup. Jake was a true freshman backup. They both were highly regarded coming in. But I also think that we have a young man who has a lot more experience than either one of them had, being that he had an opportunity to come in for a fall and go through a fall with us. He had a chance to go to a Mississippi JUCO and be able to play. And there's no value greater than going and playing. And he went and played. So you could make the case that we would have a more seasoned veteran guy. Now, is he as talented as those guys? I don't know. I think that's yet to be determined. And I think he continues to get better. And we hope that Dewan will be able to compete with him for that once he's cleared. All right, Shane. So, again, I mean – they had Justin Fields. They've had Jake Eason, Jacob Eason. You know, I've never seen it where you have all these five-star backups and now, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad thing because it, getting rid of Justin Fields may turn out to be a good thing in the end. But mm-hmm. if, God forbid, something happens to Jake from Georgia's in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember Stetson on Last Chance U. You know what I'm saying? He must not be that good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't see no hot videos coming out of there. So um no, I mean that's a that's a big concern. I mean the offense and I, I I think a bigger concern would be the linebackers, you know. Of course that's something that a lot of people have addressed, but I mean that's just a whole new group. I mean, if anything's this is a run SEC is a running conference, you know. There's gonna be games, the games that matter, uh that we're talking about that potentially they're going to be playing Alabama's and getting to the playoffs and teams like Clemson. And, you know, they like to run the ball. So how, how quick does this linebacker corp, you know, jail and get, you know, back to the, because they were good last year and they got a lot of great talent. I mean, all these guys are four and five stars. They got mm-hmm. plenty of talent, but they've not done it yet. So I'm just kind of, you know, I, again, we're just, we're picking, but uh, I, I guess that's my, where I got my eyebrows raised. Yeah, I mean, I could see it, but I don't know. I think Georgia's got so much talent there at linebacker. Uh, They may have not had a ton of guys emerge just yet, but we're talking some stud sophomores and freshmen coming in there. I think the Bulldogs are going to be just fine at that position. What What kind of spin zone is this? We're trying to be negative, and then now you're pumping them back up. (laughs) I'm just – football's a a month away, Shane. It's almost too – it's hard to be negative about anything in my life at this point. I know. I love it. I love it. We're like 30 days – we're like a month away, man. Mm -hmm. Like literally. Don't they have like some like Division II college about to crank up or something? (laughs) (laughs) Like I keep checking ESPN too just in case, you know, there's like – you know, I'm not. I'm not as bad. I don't watch Canada, Canadian football, and there's nothing against Canada. I love Canada. I love uh, bacon and mm-hmm. all that Canada stuff. But what I I need some like real American football, and I was just curious, like, what's cranking up next? Is high school? Is high school started yet? I don't know. You know, they need to. Obviously, they got the week zero game coming up. Yeah. We need week negative one, negative two. I mean, they might as well start <laughs> going that route. I mean, I'd watch it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you could grab, like, a, you know, one of those powerhouse high schools like Hoover or something like that, you watch it for a little bit, then you then you get a little fix on uh, Division three, or, you know, then I could watch, like, Carson Newman play or something like that, then – and then, you know, I got something every Saturday. August should – there should be no dead time. August is football time. People are at camp. It's time to watch some footballs. I was just curious if if you knew something that would come on a little sooner. Maybe the listeners, if you – guys, if you got any recommendations, please tweet them at us. Hey, Shane, well, before we jump off here, I do have a review I want to read here. Yeah. All right, Shane, this comes from William Wilkerson, who emailed me, and uh, he's got a little message for both of us. He says – to Mike and Cousin Shane, your podcast is the best. I found it after the season, but I have listened to all the posted episodes. You are funny while being the most informative SEC podcast out there. I'm an Ole Miss homer, but you keep me updated on all the other teams, even Mississippi State. I look forward to next season. If your coverage of SEC Media Days is any indication of the future, we are in for a treat. Five-star entertainment, hotty toddy. And that comes from Bill Henderson, Captain uh, United States Navy, retired. So thank you, thank you for the review and thank you for your service. We appreciate that. We both come from military families, so uh, you know, thank you. 
Absolutely, man. My brother, fun story, because he listens every day, is a bomb tech. And he clean. He says he's always cleaning up after the Navy. <laughs> 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 Apparently, you guys love to put the ordinance out there against the beach. So, uh, shout out to everybody in the military. I appreciate everybody and their service. And I appreciate all the listeners taking the time to hang out with us, and uh, especially ones that sent in the ratings reviews. We had a couple of ghost reviews on iTunes as well, Mike. So, uh, I appreciate everybody. Yeah, you got anything before we hop off here, Shane? Hmm. No, that's about all the positivity I can handle right now, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'll catch you next time, Shane. Uh, all right, see you guys. Go ball. It's killing me to be positive, Mike. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm done. <laughs>